and there's intimacy on the radio and there's naturalness on the radio that can never be replicated on TV. The marvelous resurgence of radio as a political force in this country. News-related radio programming is evolving. There's a huge hole in our dialogue that can be filled by the synthesis of traditional radio and the freedom that comes from a live podcast. You're about to experience Cowboy State Politics Live. Here we go. Good morning, my friends, and welcome to yet another mind-blowing installment of Cowboy State Politics Live from very high above all the puerile and insipid and vacuous forms of Wyoming mainstream media. This is Cowboy State Politics. I, of course, am your illustrious host, David Iverson, firmly ensconced behind the silver cowboy state politics microphone and broadcasting to you from the base of the Bighorns at the Cowboy State Politics Northern Command Studio in Sheridan, Wyoming. Well, good morning, my friends, and welcome to the program. I have a great show planned for you. There's a lot of different things that are happening in our great state. Uh, Some of them you ought to be aware of by now. I've also got None other than Joey Carrenti joining us on the program. Just about everything we're going to talk about this morning, he's going to be able to weigh in on. And a lot of it has to do with elections, of which Mr. Carrenti is an expert. Welcome to the program, Joey. Well, good morning, David. And I am honored to once again be on your your show this morning and share your audience with you. And it's especially poignant today because... I realize that it's a special gift to have you believe that I am qualified to appear here, even though I don't have the full support of voters in Sheridan County. Well, you know, it you have to have the full support of all voters in Sheridan County to do anything, Joey. That's what I'm hearing. And, and unfortunately, uh, that's not going to be the only topic we're going to talk about today. So once again, there's a possibility we will run long, but I'll guarantee your listeners by the end of the show we will have the full support of anybody who gets a ballot if we ever ended up voting on whether the show went well or not. You know, that brings up a good point, Joey. Apparently, election laws don't really matter in the state of Wyoming. I, myself, have thought about running for House District 43, which is nowhere even close to where I live. Well, you know, there's a a series of laws that regulate the qualifications for each office, even elected office within private organizations. And uh, it only seems to be that willing, effective, hardworking people that want to follow those laws end up getting uh, taken out of a race or ineligible to run or deemed unqualified. Apparently, you have to be a swamp monster with a bunch of initials after your names and a member of a certain amount of boards on charities and whatnot in order to be even considered. Uh, So you're right. You and I, hardworking Americans who just want to make a difference and and apply these processes and these statutes appropriately, we tend not to stand a chance. 
Yeah, exactly right. And you know, come to think of it, Joey, you're on this program so often. Why don't you just get your own show? Well, as we discussed last week, I am working very diligently at doing just that. And this morning, it was a nice break from setting up Just Blame Joey uh, podcast uh, to come onto your show and, and be able to, you know, work out some of the bugs of, of my performance and maybe get a, a little hook into your audience. We'll be sharing, uh, I'm sure some listeners, but, um, yeah, we're looking at, uh, the next couple of weeks, me spending my time in my space and, and, and you spending time in yours and doing a little bit of crosstalk. So you're not too far off the mark there. Fair enough. Well, we begin this morning with the cow pie in an article entitled Driscoll Somers, Wyoming's Permanent Savings. Well, now this is a fascinating article because apparently none of us were really aware of what a good job that uh, Ogden Driscoll and Albert Somers actually did. And I quote, Guided by the Wyoming value of save when you can, the legislature over, se over several decades set up endowments, uh, coffee cans, and smart savings to help support the state and its people into the future. The system of reserves they created receives income generated off a portion of our mineral taxes and one-time surpluses. This savings structure not only protects our kindergarten through 12th grade schools and ensures our state agencies continue to provide critical services to Wyoming citizens, it also allows the taxes paid by the people of Wyoming to remain among the lowest in the nation. End quote. Do you believe a word of that, Joey? Um, I believe the specific words have meaning. <laughs> <laughs> words mean things, right? Yeah, but in the way they're uh, they're constructed and put out here, uh, it, it's another one of those uh, sleight of hand magic tricks. We're going to say this and have you look over here, and then we're actually going to do this over here. And you know, you it, it's the lipstick on the pig. You can try to make a bad thing look as good as you want, but in the end. There's numbers, there's data, words have meaning. And if we were really doing that well for so many decades, and this was a true savings effort, our taxes compared to other states shouldn't matter. Our taxes compared to our previous taxes should, and we're continually being straddled with new taxes. We have a, a lodging tax that came into play a few years ago. Right now they're looking at increasing the diesel tax. If these things were true, then those things would not exist. Exactly right. It is the increase in taxes that Wyoming citizens are so teed off about. And I mean, rightfully so. I know a lot of people that had their property taxes double. Now, when when Ogden and Albert, oh, by the way, I have an incredible soundbite to just illustrate how incredibly brilliant Albert Somers is. Listen to this. Gold, the dollar bill is less volatile than gold. <laughs> Oh, my friends, we are dealing with a pair of a, a couple of rocket scientists. I mean, who could ever question their unassailable logic? Well, let's talk about their savings funds that they mentioned at the very first part of their dumb opinion piece. First of all, all of these saving funds are actually trust funds, and the vast majority of them are not permanent. We have we do have the permanent mineral trust fund. And to their credit, uh, the Wyoming legislature did dump a bunch of money into the Permanent Mineral Trust Fund, but the vast majority of it ended up going to all of these uh, ephemeral 
I don't even know if ephemeral is the right words, but these short-lived trust funds. So what they do is they stash a bunch of money over in this trust fund, and they might call it the Wildlife Trust Fund or the Arts Trust Fund, or they might create a trust fund for some other innocuous project. But it's never long-lived. In fact, what they do in the very next legislative session is they come up with some other harebrained scheme, and then they say, well, we took the money from this trust fund, the money that we saved for particular projects. The best case of that, and Joey, you probably remember this, and I want you to talk about it, but several years ago, there was $92 million that was put away for a brand new prison that was to be, be built down in your county. And they never started construction because Representative Steve Harshman went out and grabbed that $91 million and used it on another project. You remember that one, Joey? I do, and uh, not only living near the prison, but uh, having friends that work at it. And if you believe what some of the cow pie says, eventually ending up res residing in that prison myself one day, I'm sure. It's, it's, it's sad because the prison that was built to replace the old prison with another coffee can full of money wasn't built correctly in the first place. So there was so much attention on making sure that everything was done right for this. By the time they got a plan together, that money was gone. And it's not just the people of Carbon County that suffer. You know, it's across the state. You now have felons that are either in work release or halfway houses or honor farms that really should be in the prison but the capacity of the prison can never be met because there are safety and security issues. So good on Steve Harshman for getting away with, with what he got away with, but this was a true detriment to the people of Wyoming across Wyoming because these people should be housed in a proper facility where they're taken care of. Whatever liberties they have left as prisoners while they're serving their sentences should be addressed properly. And uh, like I said, it's just... It's, it's sad that we turn it into monopoly and we're just buying and selling and, and, and moving stuff around and never actually getting to the end of the game, which is stated in the rules up front. It's the biggest problem I have when we put this money away. They're earmarked for things. Like you said, they go to different things or they sit there and quote unquote gain interest until someone else gets hit by the good idea fairy and finds a way to burn that money. Yeah, now we're going to talk about the interest here in just a second, but one more little item. There was an article not that long ago, and for the life of me, I can't remember where I saw it, uh, but it was talking about this quote-unquote new prison that they built. There are cells that they have found rattlesnakes in. Now, I understand feelings about some, some of our most violent offenders that maybe they deserve to be bitten by a rattlesnake. But, but I'm not in that camp. If you get sentenced, and we're going to, I've got an article a little bit later in the program to talk about this very thing. Uh, but if you get sentenced, you go, you go to prison for however length of time the judge says, and you, you should be safe when you're serving your sentence. But if we have a fairly new prison that is also housing rattlesnakes, and that, that should speak to your, your, your point about the, the security of the new prison. Um, but I mean, it was terribly built. Um, it wasn't built to specs. It's not big enough. I mean, there are a whole bunch of problems and all of them were created because Steve Harshman took that money from uh, the trust fund that was created to build the new prison. Now, speaking about the interest on the savings that Ogden Driscoll and Albert Somers are talking about, you hear, and it's been in just about every paper in Wyoming, that they saved $1.4 billion. 
Well, like I said, the majority of that went to these uh, temporary trust funds. But listen to this. So the money that they actually put in the bank would only generate around $65 million worth of interest. Now that number is kind of hard to, hard to figure because interest rates go up and down, but it's around 65 million. The amount of permanent spending, that is automatic spending that this legislature created was $112 million. So correct me if I'm wrong, Joey, and I'm not an accountant, but, uh, if you're spending more money than you're making off the money you save, doesn't that kind of mean that you're sort of in the hole and you didn't do a very good job? Well, that's where they live. They live in a hole not doing a good job. So the money component is just an additional branch of most of the legislature living in a hole or a swamp and not doing a good job. But the example you gave, which is, it's not hyperbole. This is what's really happening. I liken it to... If I have a $100 bill and I stick it in my safe here at the house and then I go out and spend $1,000 on my credit card and when my bill comes, I scratch through the couch for change and make the minimum payment on my credit card, did I really save that $100 or has it just been moved around and, and other monies have been substituted and I'm still in debt? I mean, we have to break this down to where we liken it to how the common people run their household, how small businesses run their business. And if any household or small business in Wyoming ran itself the way the legislature runs Wyoming financially, not only would we be broken out of business, we'd be homeless and possibly facing jail time for fraud. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's an absolute disgrace. And what's even worse is that the president of the Senate, Ogden Driscoll, uh, <laughs> Wilford Brimley, just not quite as smart, and super genius rocket surgeryist Albert Somers are, are trying to tell you that they've done a good job. Now, if you go down to the bottom of this article, and this is the part that I find the most offensive, it says, and I quote, traditional conservative Republicans controlled the legislature during this 12-year period of exponential growth in Wyoming's permanent savings accounts, not the Freedom Caucus who touts themselves as being conservative. Now, <laughs> during Albert Somers's time in the Wyoming legislature, the overall budget has tripled 300% since he took office. Now, of course, that's counting everything. That's the whole budget, but it has absolutely tripled. Now, if you ask me, tripling your budget isn't a conservative idea. But he continues, and I quote, In the 2023 general session, the Freedom Caucus voted against a budget that will save nearly $1.5 billion by the end of fiscal year 2024. And we just talked about that. And without blinking an eye, they voted for House Bill 66 and House Bill 116, which would have cost you, the taxpayers, nearly $1 billion. Joey, do you know what House Bill 66 was? Well, why don't you tell me, David, because I'm sure our listeners would like to know as well. House Bill 66 was a ban on mask and vaccine mandates. That's all it was. And then my representative, Poisonberry Barry Crago, added an amendment to it of $900 million, nearly a billion dollars, claiming that the federal government would cut off Medicaid services to the state of Wyoming, costing us a billion dollars. The problem is that 11 other states had done the very same thing that that bill uh, sought to do, and nothing happened to them. So not only was an amendment put on the bill by traditional redcoat 
representatives, it wasn't going to happen anyway. And the fact that the Freedom Caucus voted for it was more of a big middle finger to the establishment and to the federal government than anything, because they knew for a fact that that wasn't going to happen. Because if the federal government tried to yank that uh, Medicare, Medicare and Medicaid funding from the state of Wyoming, you would have 11 other states filing lawsuits. Now, House Bill 116 was a very, very interesting one, and we're seeing this, this in the news. It would have prevented the foreign ownership of land specifically around sensitive sites in the state of Wyoming. Guess what they did to that one, Joey? Big old axe or something in a drawer, I'm guessing. No, no, they added a gigantic amendment to it to make it unpalatable to vote for. And who put the amendment on there? None other than Poisonberry Crago. So not only is Albert Somers and Ogden Driscoll being completely disingenuous in this stupid op-ed, they're lying to you. They're lying through their teeth and trying to convince you of something that is absolutely not true. Now, the, the crazy thing about this is that they expect you to believe them. It's this constant narrative that we're the good Republicans. We're the ones that are saving Wyoming. And those evil Freedom Caucus people who think that we should have lower taxes and we should lo lower our spending, they're the evil ones. I mean, it's absolutely, completely uh, false and disingenuous, Joey. I would have to agree. And these quote-unquote representatives, I don't know what they represent, but it's definitely not the people of Wyoming conservative values, or even truly Wyoming values, regardless of how many generations of Wyomingites are in their family, uh, they should thank their lucky stars that uh, you and I have difficulty getting elected based on what we talked about earlier, because man, if we were up in there, they might still get a lot of this stuff uh, to the floor, but it would be way more unpalatable and a lot more stressful to deal with because I think one of the things we're lacking and I think the Freedom Caucus is looking into working on this, but true conservatives, regardless of what additional identifiers you have, Freedom Caucus, whatever, uh, would be in there making sure that we stop bad legislation over trying to fix or promote good legislation with our names on it. If we had someone, well, we do have someone, the queen of killing bad legislation, Lynn Hutchings. If we had four more of her spread across the legislature, we would be in a much better place because all you really need to do for five, six, maybe 10 years is stop more bad stuff from coming down the pipe. And that's what we're seeing. You know, I have a personal standard of I would vote no on every budget and argue to death that the legislature cannot require a department to show where they spent the money. But I don't have to vote yes on on a budget unless you provide that for me. And I'm talking down to the end user level. Department of Education, I get it. You have to send it to the districts. The districts spend it the way they want. I wanna know where every pencil went. We're required to do it in the army. I'm required to do it in my small business. There's no reason government can't do it and do it in real time. Absolutely. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk about the, what's been going on in Sheridan County. The, if you're unaware, the Sheridan County commissioners refused to fill a vacancy on the Sheridan County Commission. Uh, it's, it's a giant, giant thing that's happening in Sheridan County. And I want to get Joey's uh, take on the whole thing. And we'll do that after the break. But first, a completely egregious yet totally necessary self-aggrandizement moment. 
We'll get back to the program in just a second. But first, some completely egregious self-aggrandizement. You can listen to the podcast on any of your favorite podcasting apps. iTunes, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, really any of them will work. But the easiest way is just to go to the website, cowboystatepolitics.com. There you can find all of the shows as well as any of the articles that I might bring up during the course of a program. If your name is Sleepy Joe Biden and you're dumber than a box of rocks, well, you can go to CowboyStatePolitics.com, pull up an article, and educate yourself, just like you should have been doing before you decided to run for office. New episodes of the program are published every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday morning. And don't forget about the Thursday live episode that begins every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. You know, the show you're listening to right now. You can find the link at CowboyStatePolitics.com or on the Cowboy State Politics Facebook page. Have you been looking for a new place to advertise your business? Well, I'd suggest advertising on this program, Cowboy State Politics. It's Wyoming's most listened-to podcast. Now, the difference between advertising on the radio and on a podcast is most people just have the radio playing in the background, and they're not actively listening to your message. People who download a podcast are there to listen to the whole thing, so you can be sure that your message will be heard. I have a statewide platform, and no one is going to beat my advertising rates. Shoot me a message. The address is david at cowboystatepolitics.com. I would love to get that conversation started with you. And now, back to the program. Now, unfortunately, Joey, you are unable to witness the farce of a county commission meeting that happened two days ago in Sheridan County. So the first thing I want to do is just play for you the pertinent piece from that commissioner's meeting, and then I'll just let you tee off on it. Here we go. Session and reconvene into open session. Second. A motion and a second. <clears throat> All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Those opposed? We are back into open session. Moving on to item four, appointment of temporary successor to fill county commission vacancy. Madam Chair. Mr. Reno. I move to appoint uh, Michael Larzy to fill a vacancy for the position of Sheridan County Commissioner, assuming his or her duties upon taking the oath of office and executing his official bond to the state of Wyoming and continuing until January 1st, 2020. Do we have a second? Do we have a second? Do we have a second? The motion fails for lack of a second motion. Madam Chairman, I move to appoint Brian Helfrich to fill the vacancy for the position of Sheridan County Commissioner, assuming his duties upon taking the oath of office and executing his official bond to the state of Wyoming, continuing until January 1, 2025. Do we have a second? Do we have a second? Do we have a second? The motion fails for lack of a second. Madam Chair, I move to appoint Holly Jennings to fill the vacancy for the position of Sheridan County Commissioner, assuming her duties on taking the oath of office and executing her official bond to the state of Wyoming and continuing. 
All right, we're just going to pause right there just for a second. But you see what's going on. And there's no way that these jokers figured it out on their own of what they're doing. They obviously consulted somebody ahead of time. I mean, I, I don't think there's any question about that. But let me continue. Until January 1st, 2025. Do we have a second? Do we have a second? Do we have a second? And the motion fails for lack of a second. I, I would like to close um, by saying this that we take this elected position very seriously. Yeah, we need some decorum in here. Hilarious. To throw their name in the hat, it does not automatically mean they're qualified. Okay, that's good enough. Just because you threw your name in the ring and the county central committee recommended you to the county commissioners, that doesn't mean that you're qualified. And, you know, we take this really, really seriously. One, two, three, go, Joey. Well, so many things. And, and I'm going to hit first on your point of they didn't do this on their own. They had help. Let's go all the way back to before the beginning. They had an executive session which I believe is legitimate if they're discussing personnel issues, which in this case very well could be. Unfortunately, their personnel issues related to an office that has a public election or a public uh, nomination process, which is what they're dealing with right now. The Sheridan County Republican Party had to um, do their nomination and their selection process for their slate. Hey, hold on, Joey. Just just for a second, um, let's just remind everybody why you know so much about this. Joey Carrenti was the chairman of the county or the Carbon County Republican Party for for several years. So, I mean, you absolutely know what you're talking about on here. Sorry, Joe. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, and that's right. And not only through that, but also through my time with the state central committee and other organizations. Parliamentary procedure, filling vacancies. Uh, I, I've been involved with all the way up to the Secretary of State's position, but down as, and I don't want to say the word low, but to the point where we had multiple vacancies in precinct slots. So I'm intimately familiar with not only the, the process, but the parliamentary guidelines that were given. So first they went into executive session. When they came out of executive session, all they said was, we're back in general session. Now, the rules governing executive session say you can't discuss the particulars, but you always are supposed to report the uh, topic and the results. So if they were in there pre-choosing or preparing for what they were going to do, they needed to come out and give that report, which would be in the minutes and can be publicized. You just can't say Commissioner A said or argued this, that, or the other, but you can say we went in discussed the appointment process, and we decided that we were not going to allow any of these candidates uh, to be nominated. The other thing that tells you they didn't do this on their own is they proposed it as a motion for appointment, not a nomination. A nomination doesn't need a second. Somebody looked in the book and said, ah, if we make it a motion and it's not seconded, we don't even have discussion on it. This is not a typical process. Look at any of the other commission meetings. They will come up with a proposal or a resolution. Someone will move it. They'll ask for a second once. If they don't get a second, they won't ask three times. They made sure to get on the record publicly asking for a second. 
multiple times. That notwithstanding, that's all procedural. It's an obvious violation of the uh, specific wording and statute, not the intent, not the spirit. It's a game that's being played. They're pretending certain words don't matter or have different meanings. And the argument I haven't heard yet is that it boils down to, you know, I've heard the Sheridan uh, County Republican Party and other people say, who are you to decide who's qualified? You're violating the law. We're going to get the law involved. Secretary uh, of State Chuck Gray sent a letter with his recommendations, which I believe he's legitimately entitled to do because although he doesn't have a law degree, I don't know that he has a law degree, but he's not a lawyer. He's not practicing as a lawyer. He does have referral duties to the um, attorney general when the election code is broken. So his position does matter because he can say, hey, I'm giving you a warning or a heads up at least. I don't know if you'd want to warn him. If this happens in this manner and I get an official complaint, I'm likely going to forward it to someone who's not going to do their job. They're going to kick it back to the county attorney. But the argument I haven't heard is that when these commissioners decided, I don't know, subjectively and unilaterally that these individuals were not qualified, they had nothing statutorily to back it up. And when they refused, these three individuals, not the selection of the party, not the violation of the law, these three individuals were deemed unworthy of filling the position. I believe it's a violation of Article 1, Section 3 of the Wyoming Constitution, granting them equal political rights, which states, since equality and the enjoyment of natural and civil rights is only made sure through political equality, the laws of this state affecting the political rights and privileges of its citizen shall be without distinction of race, color, sex, or any circumstance or condition whatsoever other than individual incompetency or unworthiness duly ascertained by a court of competent jurisdiction. These commissioners just violated their oath of office. So on top of the misdemeanor they may be facing for violating the election code, they should be out on their ear for violation of their oath. Absolutely, they should. There, There is no question about it. I mean, you and I say all of the time, Joey, that words mean things and that, that, that word choice is very, very important. And when the statute says the county commissioners shall appoint, it doesn't mean can or may or any of that. It means you will. Well, let me just give you an example here. Let's say you and I are participants in a jury trial. And, you know, we get the we get the case and we go back in the jury room and we say, you know, gee, this is a toughie. I don't really think that we can come up with a decision. And we go back to the judge and say, you know, judge, this is a real toughie. Well, we don't really think that we can come up with a decision. What's the judge going to say? Is he going to say, well, OK, no problem. Mistrial. Uh-uh. The judge says, get back in the jury room and figure it out. Now, the statute is clear, 183524. It says they shall appoint. Now, the, the one that they're hedging their bets on is Part B of the statute, which says if they fail to appoint somebody from the list of three candidates, then it goes to a judge. But just like the alphabet, B follows A. So it's not discretionary. It's not if they don't like the candidates or if they don't want to. Part B is in there is if they are physically incapable 
of choosing from one, choosing one from those three candidates. It's not a discretionary thing where they say, well, you know, we don't like these people. Now, everybody is pointing to a case in Campbell County that happened in 2018, almost an exact situation. The c- county commissioner didn't want to do it. And so it got kicked to a judge and a judge ruled and, and there was a suit brought. But the judge ruled that it that they're going to make the decision that a judicial officer would hold interviews and then make the decision. But that's a one off, isn't it, Joey? I mean, I, there are several other examples across the state where uh, people were abs- like counties and even the governor were absolutely forced to make a decision. I mean, do I have that right? Uh, yeah, we have truckloads of precedent on this. Um, the, the coroner issue out in Fremont County a couple of years ago. Uh, more recently, um, nominating, and there was a lot of hoopla over the nomination of the uh, vacancy uh, participants for superintendent of public instruction. Uh, I was at that meeting. I, I was involved in that process, and we knew and were told that there was a lawsuit coming, and the minute the vote happened, Tom Lubnow dropped that lawsuit, and as soon as it hit the courts, went through the pipeline, the courts dropped the lawsuit saying you're out of your mind and unfortunately that was an attack on the party that on its face was also an attack on the governor for participating in statute and that's probably why it got dropped so quickly but we had a secretary of state replacement i've replaced my coroner um rarely ever does it take a judge to get involved and mostly that has to do with having a lack not qualified candidates having a lack of candidates period or finding out this person registered as a Republican in order to be nominated, then switched back to the Democrat party and is now no longer actually qualified. And that's what that B portion is there for, is if you execute everything in A properly and still don't have a candidate, then B would come into play. And B is a little problematic for me because the way it's being played with now, you're sending it to an unelected official who's unaccountable to the people who's appointed, not elected. And, and it's just, it's a situation that should rarely be used. And really what this judge should be looking at is all of the things surrounding this and realizing they may be in a position where they're not picking one. They might be picking five because there's one vacancy and four people that just violated the constitution and you no longer have a quorum once we get rid of them. And that judge, We'll have to pick five people. No, and here's the other wrinkle in this, and I don't know if this carries any weight, but it just sticks in my craw a little bit. But the Sheridan County Commission Chairman, Christy Haswell, I think I'm going to start calling her Christy Antoinette. I think that's appropriate. But Christy Antoinette is a Republican precinct woman. She was present during the vote for these three candidates, and she didn't say a darn thing about them at that meeting in fact, she just let it go on through, knowing all the whole time that that the commissioners were going to reject all three candidates. I mean, the entire thing is a setup. Now, I want to move to an article put out on by the Cowpie, the most one of the most dishonest articles I think that I've ever read by Leo Trotsky Wolfson. And I mean, that's saying a lot because he's written a lot of really dishonest crap. But this was entitled Sheridan County GOP livid over non-appointment of new commissioner. And I quote, 
all three nominees ran for county commissioner in 2022 and lost, finishing fourth, Kristen Jennings, or uh, Holly Jennings, fifth, Arzy, sixth, Helfridge, respe respectively. A total of 823 votes separated Jennings and Commissioner Alan Thompson, the third place vote getter. It was Thompson's seat that was vacant after he resigned in July. That the 2022 election showed nominees did not have enough support from county voters was a factor in not choosing any of them, Haswell said. So what is enough? How much support do you need? Okay, so she finished fourth in their, uh, yeah, fifth in the running. But let me give you the vote totals. Alan Thompson, who was successful in his election to the Sheridan County Commission, received 4,068 votes. Right, right behind him was Holly Jennings, and she finished the election with 3,245 votes. So, I mean, what qualifies you? Does she have to have 3,500 or uh, 3,800? I mean, uh, what's the dividing line? I think what this tells you is that the entire process is 100% arbitrary. I mean, it, it absolutely has no basis in law. It has no basis in fact. And Mary and Marie Antoinette and Christy Antoinette just needs to shut up and sit down and follow the law. Well, correct. I would agree. And it's the old adage of, you know, the longer you let someone talk, the more you're going to find out how stupid they really are, because is the legitimate argument. The last time we had a race for this office in the ballot, the guy that got the job was just ahead of these next three people. Now that guy doesn't have the job anymore. Who else would you go to? And this bore out, you know, through official process, those three people happen to be the top selections through the alternate process of filling a vacancy. So you're looking at the next person with the most support and then the two people after her, it, it doesn't make sense to say, well, they didn't have enough support to get the office. Okay, well, let's rerun the election without Thompson or whatever his name is in the running those votes had to go somewhere and they couldn't have gone any further up because this is the guy that got the job. They would either had to go to him. And since he's not in the running, it's going to go to one of these three people anyway. So it's a convoluted argument. If she really wants to make that argument, then let's do the reverse of what Kale Case is saying. This is what this is going to be on his radar because he has wanted for so long to take vacancy replacements away from the party that the vacancy is created in and send it to a bureaucratic panel, I think we should go the other way. And I think we can fix a lot of these problems. If we're going to address it, we send it back to a special election and then the people can bear out. But I guarantee you, if we had a ballot in Sheridan County for the replacement and these three names were on the ballot, these would still be the top three vote getters. Absolutely. Now, there's one more little item here that uh, I, I think is important, like Christy Haswell. And let me just play it for you again here. Um, just so just so we're clear on what I'm talking about. But here's Christy Haswell saying why they didn't select any of those three candidates. While I appreciate everyone's courage to throw their name in the hat, it does not automatically mean they're qualified. <laughs> Joey, in statute, what does the word qualified mean? Well, qualified in this particular situation is based on would you be qualified to have your name on the ballot? Are you an elector, registered elector? Are you a resident of the political subdivision for the office in which you're running? Um, and are, well, 
specifically for a vacancy, are you a party member of the party that created the vacancy? And I'm not too worried about how they're going to convolute or explain, which we still haven't gotten a clear explanation on what the qualification concern is. But in Wyoming, especially in our legislature, we, we have a citizen legislature. All of our public offices are filled by the people. We have a few professional politicians in Wyoming. This, this is the same at the county commission level. So to say the common person is unqualified to participate in self-governance is ridiculous. And again, unless her answer includes, and she can provide the documentation, that there is individual incompetency or unworthiness that is duly asserted by a court of competent jurisdiction, then they violated the Constitution. Law be damned, the Supreme Law of Wyoming says the only way political equality can be violated is if you have a letter from a judge saying this person is incompetent. If they if they hit all those other check marks, they're registered to vote, they're in the party, they live in the political subdivision, then the subjective argument that they're not qualified is going to get you in a lot of trouble. And I hope she does. And and this this relates to other other issues we've seen in the past. You know, we have legislators that were not residents of the political subdivision they were representing. And well, hold on, we're going to get to that in just a second, Joey. <laughs> so the, the only way around it is to break the law or violate the Constitution in every case. And in this case, I believe they did both. Absolutely. I totally agree. Let's take a quick break. And then we're going to go to something that is pretty near and dear to both mine and Joey's heart. Yeah, it's still summer, but hunting season is not that far away, and it's time for you to start gearing up for it. I know, that's going to make the wife extraordinarily happy, but it has to be done. One of the best things that you can put in your hunting pack is a pair of really warm socks. And the best socks that I have ever worn are made by the Buffalo Wool Company. Most of the time, the first thing to get cold on my body are my feet. And being a diabetic like I am, I'm really, really sensitive to it. Now, I've tried Pendleton wool socks and just about every kind of wool sock that you could possibly imagine, and nothing compares to these Buffalo Wool Company socks. To get you a pair, go to their website, thebuffalowoolco.com. Trust me, you are not going to be disappointed. Wyoming is one of the most sought-after places to live, I talk about it all the time on this program. There's a lot of people that want to move to our great state. There's beautiful mountain vistas all the way from Sheridan to Saratoga and from Hewlett all the way to Jackson. It's an amazing place, and there's a ton of people that are moving here. If you're buying or selling, you need a real estate agent with experience. The best person to talk to is Rebecca Bextel at Compass Real Estate. Last year, she sold $25 million worth of property all across the state of Wyoming, from small residential properties all the way up to giant ranches. She's lived in Jackson for 20 years and has her fingers on the pulse of the real estate market all across the state of Wyoming. So it doesn't matter what type of property you're looking for or if you're thinking about selling. Give Rebecca a call, 307-699-3519. That's Rebecca Bextel at Compass Real Estate.
A GOP state lawmaker has been arrested in Alabama on felony voter fraud charges. And I quote, Alabama State Representative David Cole on Tuesday was arrested and charged with voter fraud on accusations that he voted on uh, uh, voted in multiple or unauthorized locations, according to jail records provided by the Madison County Sheriff's Office. According to the sheriff's records, Cole was booked Tuesday afternoon and released on bail amounting to $2,500. The charge is a class th- Class C felony, meaning conviction could result in up to 10 years in prison. A1.com, a local news outlet, said Attorney General Steve Marshall's office confirmed he was prosecuting the case. Additional details of the charges were not immediately available in court records. However, arrest comes after increased scrutiny of Cole's primary residence. Cole was elected to represent District 10 in the Alabama legislature, but local reports claimed Cole actually lived in District 4, which would violate state law. Libertarian candidate Elijah Boyd challenged the election results in court. So it would appear that other states have a grasp on this whole thing, but apparently we do not. From a January 29th, 2022 episode of Cowboy State Politics, I brought you this. Take a listen. Listen close. Quote, Zwanitzer said that when he filed for office in May of 2020, he planned to live in his residence within House District 43 for the duration of his term, but a place that better fit his family's future inside House District 10 became available in 2021. Uh Uh-huh. Now, remember what I always tell you. Words matter. And if you listen close, people will tell you exactly what they're up to. Let me just read that for you one more time. Quote, Zwanitzer said that when he filed for office in May of 2020, he planned to live in his residence within House District 43 for the duration of his term. But a place that better fit his family's future inside House District 10 became available in 2021. Not at all what he told the cow pie yesterday. This is a perfect example of why you should always be straight with people. That way, you don't have to remember your stories after you've told them. Back to today's edition of Political Malfeasance in the Cow Pie. In the article, Representative Zwanitzer clearly points out that his spouse is registered to that home in House District 10. But the real question, my friend, is where are you registered to vote? If the location of where Representative Zwanitzer's spouse is registered to vote is a pertinent piece of information, which Dan Zwanitzer brought up himself, but of course we already knew that, I suggest that it is also important we find out where Representative Dan Zwanitzer is registered to vote. And as of January 28th at 4 p.m., that would be yesterday, Representative Dan Zwanitzer is registered to vote at 521 Cottonwood Drive. That's his old house. You know, the one he sold? On the website, you'll find a copy of the warranty deed for 521 Cottonwood Drive, dated the 22nd of February, 2021, where that house is now the property of Jeffrey Allen Kane Jr. Now, Joey. Listen close. Now, Joe, Joey, correct me if I'm wrong, but we don't have any elections in the state of Wyoming in february or january or december do we not usually but in this case we actually did well dan's wanitzer and laramie county did there was a special election for taxes in november of that year 
And when that house was sold in February and no longer the legal property of Dan Zwanitzer, the one thing that didn't change on paper was his voter registration. Now, some people may forget or, hey, I forgot how I lied before, like you said, and so I didn't update my uh, voter registration. That happens, and I think it could be easily argued of oopsie. But the problem was he knew, requested, and submitted a ballot in that special election in November from that address where he would have gone to the polling place, and we checked, and he did get a paper ballot at the polling place. He got it, and he confirmed his address to an election judge in order to receive that ballot. So there is no way, and I have to be real careful when talking about Dan Zwanitzer because I don't want to be accused of a hate crime based on personal lifestyle choices, but anybody who did this went to a polling place, looked an election judge in the eye and confirmed, yes, that is my address, knowingly and willingly committed a crime, whether the House of Representatives, the Management Council, or the Attorney General want to deal with it or not, it does not change the fact that it happened, and there's no way it wasn't a crime that was committed knowingly. Absolutely. Now, here in a minute, we're going to do something that we've never done on the program before. And, you know, none of none of the people listening to the broadcast actually get to see what I see when I'm doing the live show. But I have a, a, a huge menu and there's all the time people wanting to call in. So we're just going to roll the dice and uh, um, invite somebody on the program. Now, uh, first thing here, uh, why don't you just tell us who you are and where you're from? Welcome to the program. Apparently, they don't want to talk to us. Or they're muted. Or they're muted. Either way, moving on. Well, see, that was a total bust. I thought that was going to be fun. Anyhow, uh, you're exactly right, Joey. And the whole thing boiled down to Dan Zwanitzer not wanting to admit that he didn't live in his district. Because if he had admitted that, it would have created an immediate vacancy. And actually, the way the statute reads is you don't have to admit it at all. If you move outside of your district, the state statute says there is an immediate vacancy. So it's obvious why um, why he didn't want to uh, um, admit that. Uh, but secondly, and and this this all of this is a moot point now because the Wyoming legislature allowed Dan Zwanitzer to Zawanamander, used to be gerrymandering, but now it's Zawanamander, his new house into his old district. I mean, if you if you want to hear all about this, there's one of my favorite episodes that I've ever done on the program. It's called Why the Little Box, Dan. It's fascinating. I mean, it's I had a great time doing that episode. But if you want to hear more about this whole Dan Zwanitzer situation, uh, that's the episode to go check out. But the main the main point here is how do we hold these guys uh, accountable? So, all right. So now we have our caller again. Let's try this one more time. Welcome to the program. Tell us who you are and where you're uh, from. Yes, can you hear me now? I can. Um, I'm from Sheridan, Wyoming, and I'm calling in about uh, the situation with, with the uh, county commissioners. And while I do agree that they were coached and counseled, obviously, by an attorney, uh, I think it's worth keeping in mind that uh, Commissioner Siddle literally spent decades teaching parliamentary procedure daily in uh, vocational ag classes 
And oh, other, fair enough. Yes. And the other thing I'd like to mention is that uh, Buffalo's very own uh, favorite drunk driver, Bill Novotny, he's uh, part of a, an investment firm called Wildclass. And currently, uh, he's on the board. And currently, you've got $7 million of the city of Sheridan's money invested in it and $28 million of the county's money invested in this private firm. And uh, you've got Haswell going around promoting further investments. So I don't know what kind of relationship she has going with Wildclass or with Novotny. But uh, this is going I mean, on. Bill Novotny is like Bill Novotny is a scourge on Johnson County. I mean, that guy, I mean, I am amazed that he's been able to politically survive this long um, with with everything else that he's done. It's absolutely amazing. Just about anywhere else, if you got caught driving driving on the wrong way on the interstate between Buffalo and Sheridan, blackout drunk with an open container while eluding police, your political career would be over, but not if you're Bill Novotny. And, you know, that I actually, until you brought it up, I didn't know anything about this wild class thing. So uh, what'd you say your name was? Um, right, it's okay I, if you don't want to. I'd, I'd rather not say, but uh, it, it is a... And, and Mr. Novotny is the uh, one of the board members of this. And currently there's, a, you know, 28 million from the city of Sheridan invested in it and seven from the county. And it's a private. Wow. So, Joey, do you know anything about this? I don't know anything about this specific fund, but uh, I do know anytime Bill Novotny is involved in something that has to do with money checks or money orders, it's definitely worth looking into and you know i don't know who this caller is uh and i'm not going to push to get that uh information but it's interesting what he brought up because i was in sheridan last weekend before all this officially happened and i i walked into the local barber shop met with uh met with reuben morris and had him cut my hair and while he was doing that you know nick paskey was in the room uh there was a couple other people that are, are known to me and there was that uh County commissioner, what's his name? Seidel Siddle. He was in there. Yeah, as well. And I, I swear we weren't more than two minutes into a conversation about the preemption of this happening and, and what we were thinking when all of a sudden he didn't have time to sit around and wait for a haircut anymore and he booked it out of there. So um, I, I think he, he knew it was a sensitive subject. And the funny thing is, if he taught parliamentary procedure for decades, why is he not the only registered? professional parliamentarian in the state of Wyoming, because we only have one, and that's Tom Reeder. If you're so good and you did it right, why couldn't you get licensed and meet the standards of the regulatory board that governs parliamentarians here in Wyoming and across America? So I know people that say they've been teaching parliamentary procedure forever, and you get them into a committee meeting or on the floor for debate, and they have no idea what they're doing. So that is what it is. Uh, I think that uh, this individual, he may not be a problem anymore because with what they just did, regardless of his past or his abilities, they just committed a crime and violated the Constitution. So I think they need to be out on their ear and um, we should set a solid precedent with this one so that we can get rid of people like Bill Novotny because this wasn't just what Bill Novotny did that one night. This wasn't his first DUI. No. So not only if you do it, should your political career be over based on the will of the people, I will always leave it there. Our criminal justice system is one thing. Our elections are another. 
Apparently, he's still qualified somehow to hold that job. But when you do it repeatedly, the people need to take a good look and say, hey, go run your foundation, get off our ballot. We're not going to continue to promote this kind of activity or decision-making because you're putting people's lives at risk. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. Thanks for the call. Um, all right. So after the break, we're going to move on a little bit. There's uh, there's a, a, an article, a very interesting article in the Casper Star Tribune, the Pravda on the Plat this morning. And it's, we're going to be talking about restoration of rights, which if you didn't know, that's a new law that was passed in this uh, uh, past legislative session. And if you're a nonviolent felony, you can apply after five years to get your gun rights back. So we're going to talk about that after the break. We'll finish up the program in just a second. But first, one more absolutely obscene profit timeout. Welcome to Cowboy State Politics Lessons in Self-Serving Gentlemanly Conduct. Lesson number one, the salon. Now, gentlemen, we all know that our better halves like their hair to look just right. And let's be honest, it helps us out too. We do like looking at attractive ladies. Now, the best place that that wife of yours can go to is to the Bombshell Studio in Sheridan. Christine Sturdivant is the only Redken specialist in Sheridan. So if your better half needs a new do or she just wants a touch-up on the one that she has, call Christine Sturdivant. Her phone number is 307-752-4844. That's the Bombshell Studio. This has been Cowboy State Politics Self-Serving Lessons in Gentlemanly Conduct. Do you like hot wings? Yeah, me too. In fact, I'm obsessed with them. And the best hot wings in the state of Wyoming are from the Winget Food Truck. They travel around the state, going from town to town. All you have to do is go to their Facebook page, the Winget Food Truck, or go to CowboyStatePolitics.com and look underneath the Sponsors tab, and you'll find their schedule there. You know, I personally recommend the Garlic Parmesan Wings. They're absolutely amazing, but they've got several other different flavors, not just hot wings or garlic Parmesan. You'll find exactly what you've been missing this entire time. So go to the website, CowboyStatePolitics.com, and look underneath the Sponsors tab. And that way, you can plan your entire week around where the Winget food truck is going to be. I get it. Actual summer was really kind of short in Wyoming. And we all know what that means. Fall is on the way. And with it comes some pretty unpredictable temperatures. You need to be prepared for all of it. Sometimes we have all four seasons in the same week. One of the best ways that you can do that is to get a nice warm hat from New Trend Hats. They have a wide variety of hats for both men and women, and they're sure to keep those ears of yours nice and toasty warm. So go to their website, NewTrendHats.com, and make sure you're prepared for whatever is coming. And now, the conclusion to the program. Welcome back to the show, Cowboy State Politics, Wyoming's conservative voice. I'm your host, David Iverson. 
documented to be almost always right 98.6% of the time. And if you notice, that number just continues to go up. And as my co-host for this show astutely pointed out, I mean, really, that number is actually kind of low because on every single episode, I'm giving you information that is absolutely correct and you can verify it. Well, Joey, I have to tell you that I I absolutely enjoyed our last caller. I think we're going to do that more often. You know, I've always wanted to have a talk show, and um, you know, I I really enjoyed that call. So uh, I think in any future future episodes or further endeavors, uh, we should definitely give that a try. Absolutely. Moving on. Oh, go ahead, Joey. I was say absolutely. I think it should be uh, a standard, and I'm looking forward to working on that with you. Is we get my show launched and, and make it uh, a regular occurrence and uh, run a little sm- more smoothly because there's something to be said about having a return voice from the people. And, and I think that that's something that's sorely missed on every level of our government. And we can definitely set the standard by having it be part of our shows. Absolutely. And, you know, like I said, you know, I've always wanted to uh, to have a talk show of my own. And, you know, here's something you probably didn't know about me. Um, for, for several years, I worked for AT&T in a call center. And, you know, it's kind of a grueling job. And honestly, most people are not cut out for it. But I, I kind of enjoyed it, you know, getting to talk to all sorts of different people from, um, well, th- with that job, it was, you know, everywhere you know across the country uh but i absolutely enjoyed it and we'll we'll continue to do that in future episodes an article entitled hundreds make use of new restoration of rights law printed in none other than the pravda on the plat And I quote, hundreds of Wyomingites with a felony on their record have taken advantage of a new law that restores their civil rights following the enactment of uh, the new law last month. C.J. Young, the elections division director for the Wyoming Secretary of State's office, told lawmakers last week. Young estimated that the Secretary of State's office has received over 300 certificates for the restoration of rights since the law. Senate file 120 went into effect July 1. Senate file 120 was sponsored by Redcoat former Speaker of the House Eric Barlow. You know, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and again. Allows nonviolent felons to regain the right to own and use guns, serve on a jury, hold public office, and, of course, vote um, after they complete their sentence and probation and five years. Um, So, Joey, you and I had a discussion about this when you were up in Sheridan last week. And, you know, I think it goes back to our you know, our belief in essential liberty. You know, we can't we can't believe in liberty if we don't think that when you you're convicted of a crime, you do your sentence and you're punished and you complete it all. And then we still punish you for that crime. This is squarely in my 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 wheelhouse here. You know, you are talking to jailbird Joey after all. So I've looked into this. I've experienced our justice system from both sides. I've never committed or been convicted of a felony, but I've committed crimes in my past and uh, my integrity when I look at the charges that I was facing at any given time said, you know, you did this. Don't waste the taxpayers money. Don't waste the court's time. Plead guilty. Don't plead down. You know, take your medicine. And once I was done with the legal process, 
luckily they were just misdemeanors. So I made sure that I, you know, executed everything I agreed to was not ordered to do by the judge. They ask you at the end, do you agree to these terms of your probation bond, whatever? And so there is a path back. And in the last segment, I said, you know, with Bill Novotny, he had multiple DUIs. Guess what? So do I. But that's a legal. Actually, hold on. Let me let me just correct you real quick. Um, he doesn't have multiple DUIs. He's got one. But there have been lots of instances where he's absolutely been drunk driving, and I can prove it. So he's not. He's only been convicted one time. And that would be the difference. And as I'm starting to research stories, I've I've noticed that there's always a benefit to getting the police report and the court record, because there's a difference between being charged, being convicted and being detained or cited. So you need that police report to say, hey, this actually happened, and then somewhere in the system it fell apart. But I'm not singling out Bill Novotny because you know he did these things. I'm in the same boat. I've had DUIs. But like I said earlier, there's a separate process between our criminal justice system and our election system. And now we're on the criminal justice side. What I truly believe is once an individual is square with the house again, you can't legitimately ask them to be a productive member of society without allowing them to practice their full complement of civil rights. The biggest problem I have with this law that just passed is that on top of finishing out your sentence, you also have to wait an additional five years. So in those five years, you have to be a productive member of society without having your constitutional rights uh, being reenfranchised with your voting rights. I still think it's too long, but my biggest issue with it, and you always know because of the source, is that it came from Eric Barlow. And one of the biggest points of contention was Wyoming doesn't have the right, the authority to remove these rights from people. So they had to give themselves or are working on giving themselves the right to do this in order to have the authority to reinstate these things. That falls into another category of, I believe, government overreach. Uh, I think that Wyoming, especially because we have the 10th Amendment, we have our own uh, Secretary of State and our own voting laws, we should be able to say, you can vote in Wyoming. Now, we can't restore your right in other states. That's their job. That was, that's what the 10th Amendment does. Same thing with firearms. You can have and carry a firearm in Wyoming all you want. We have constitutional carry in Wyoming. If your rights have been restored, we can guarantee it within Wyoming. What we can't do is force the federal government to approve your background check. So the acquisition and the actual uh, use of these civil rights is being still encumbered by the federal government who's getting into our business. We should be able to do it unilaterally within Wyoming, and um, we should be able to do it without giving the government additional powers to subjectively remove those rights. Because I guarantee you, one day it's not going to be felonies. They're going to disenfranchise you and take your guns. We had a whole show about political prosecution, which is basically persecution, because they want your guns and they're trying to find a way to legitimize it and they're on route to giving themselves the authority at the state level to do it without committing a felony. Absolutely. You're you're exactly correct. Now, there's one more wrinkle with this law, and this is the main reason that at least a couple of conservatives opposed this law in the last session, is that it it does include some backdoor gun control. And many people don't realize this, but until this law was passed, there was no 
statute in Wyoming that would prevent nonviolent felons from owning and possessing firearms. Now, this it's, uh, this might be a little bit of a picky issue, uh, but they absolutely are prevented at the federal level, just not in Wyoming. So what this law did is it first removed your, uh, or fixed that little wrinkle and created a statute that said, if you're a felon, period, then you can't possess firearms because their argument was that they can't restore something that they didn't take away. Now, there's some logic to that, but it doesn't, it doesn't clear them of the issue of passing, you know, backdoor gun control. And, you know, I don't know how you go about um, putting this law in place without doing that, but it doesn't get them out of the problem of further restricting gun rights for nonviolent felons. I mean, I, I'm, I'm against all types of gun control. Um, I, I've on the program, I've, interviewed experts on the Second Amendment that said absolutely that you have the right to own the exact firearms that uh, or comparable firearms to what the federal government has. Um, so I'm against any type of gun control. Um, and I, you know, part of this law, while I do agree in principle that, you know, you, you can't believe in liberty and not say that once someone has paid their paid their penance, that they don't get all of their rights back. I mean, that's kind of the that's kind of the theory behind prison, you know, um, even though it doesn't work, the idea is that we rehabilitate you and you don't do it again. And the only way that you can be rehabilitated is if you have your rights restored. So I agree with that part. The point that I disagree on is that it's backdoor gun control. And as Joey mentioned, you know, there we gave you two, two cases on the program not that long ago um, of where there were people who were politically connected um, that were persecuted and prosecuted, and there was an obvious attempt to try to take their guns. So, I mean, in my opinion, um, we need to work, find a workaround to saying again that nonviolent felons um, don't have to follow those gun restrictions. I, I know it's a sticky problem, um, but I'm just I'm just not in favor of any type of gun control. I, I agree, and we're working on a battlefield where the interior battlefield we'll call the state of Wyoming in the war zone we call we'll call it America um, we have different entities with different interests and authorities and responsibilities so I get it and you know we're talking about the Second Amendment we're talking about voting rights but what it really boils down to is the 13th Amendment which I don't think a lot of people look at because they think it only had to do with slavery and in the 13th Amendment there there's specific provisions that say unless you are a, you know, something along the lines of a criminal ward of the state. So while you're in prison, yeah, you don't have those rights. It's mentioned in the 13th Amendment. Your civil rights are suspended. But once you get out, you know, we're, we're working in a, a, a theater of regulation that really Wyoming should be able to flex its sovereignty on. Okay, I can't buy a gun from an FFL because the federal background check won't pass me. But you can buy a firearm from a private citizen. And I think you should always have the right to do that. In fact, people are going to, you know, they're going to go off on me saying, oh, you want everybody to run around with guns. And my answer is yes, I do. Because there are bad people out there. There are felons out there. There are violent people out there who don't care about the law and are going to carry firearms and commit acts of violence anyway. And I believe everybody should be prepared and well-trained in their arms to defend life, liberty, and their pursuit of happiness, period. So I don't think having all these rules from the federal government 
should really affect Wyoming because we should have ways of saying, hey, we're sovereign. We have constitutional carry. We have ways of acquiring firearms for individuals that don't require the federal background check. Everybody should be allowed to vote if they're not currently in prison. And we just need to do a better job as citizens of taking care of those things. The election results. Hey, get informed. Be engaged. Talk to people. Make sure you have good principled reasons for voting for the person you're voting for. Gun control. Get it out of the way. Federal laws, they are what they are. We have SAPA in Wyoming. If a sheriff wants to, or a police officer, infringe on uh, civil liberties using a federal law, they do so at their own peril now. So we have ways of doing this. Webley Arms is a great example because those are produced in Wyoming. The preemption is covered because that firearm is produced in Wyoming, sold in Wyoming, and as long as you don't take it across state lines, there's almost nothing the state can do. It would have to be a federal officer imposing federal law, probably on federal property, in order for that to happen because we have that SAPA law now. So I think the door should be open. We need to bring people back into society, not just with the expectation that they're productive members, but that they get to retain or regain all of their civil liberties. And then all the way down to the grassroots level, we need to be more involved. We need to be more aware, whether it's elections, firearms, school boards, it's the people's awareness and involvement that is the problem here, not the number of laws, rules, and regulations we have. Excellent. Uh, that's a perfect segue into where I want to end this program. Um, yet another thing that I have never done on the program is <laughs> recommend an article from the Pravda on the Platte. There's a great opinion piece by David Adler. Now, David Adler is a noted author who lectures, lectures nationally and internationally on the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and presidential power. His scholarly writings have been cited by the United States Supreme Court and lower courts by both Democrats and Republicans. And I mean, I, generally speaking, I like his writing, but this one is particularly interesting because he's talking about a giant in American jurisprudence, Joseph Story. And it's entitled, it's actually on the website right now, on the Casper uh, Star website, if you want to look it up. But it's entitled Justice Joseph Story, the Most Scholarly of Justices. Now, to just give you a, a, a little I don't know, a view into who this guy was. He was nominated to the Supreme Court when he was 32. Amazing. Uh, Justice Story remains the youngest person ever named to the Supreme Court, being 32. He was nominated by President James Madison um, to the high bench in 1811. At that young age, and listen to this, this is amazing. Um, he had already served in the United States House of Representatives. He was already the speaker, had been the speaker of the Massachusetts House and authored two volumes on pleading as a leader of the bar. Now, give me one example of a 32-year-old that's done all of that. I don't think that you're going to find, find one. Um, but the point that, that what struck me about this piece is the following, quote, Joseph Story's masterful opinion in the landmark case of Martin V. Hunter's lessee, and that was in 1816, rejected the claim of state sovereignty, a theory that would evolve years later into the doctrine of state secession by the Union. Story reminded Americans that the people, not the states, are sovereign, that the people, not the states, ratified the Constitution. That fundamental principle, Story observed, could not have been more plainly stated than it was in the preamble to the Constitution, which declares that we, the people, ordain and establish this Constitution. 
And that's exactly correct. It is we, the people, that possess all of the power. We, Yes, we do elect these representatives, but we can also unelect them. We can kick them out of office. We can kick them out of office for violating their oath of office or failing to do their duty or breaking the law. There's a whole list of things um, that, that we, the people, can do. But like Joey just said, um, we have to get off our dead butts and do it. We have to become more active. I mean, and, and there's, there's no other way about it. Um, John Adams and George Washington said that this government is only suited to an educated and profoundly religious people. That's the only way this thing works, guys. And I mean, you have to remember that the power is in the hands of the people. Joey, thoughts? Well, I absolutely agree. And I think that there's some, I don't know, confusion or apathy. And well, the government runs this, they do this, these are their rules. It's the beauty of our laws, our representative system of government, and even our constitution is that it has within it provisions for change. But that change has got to come from the people because we do not elect people into positions of power to go and do what's best for them and their buddies or, or you know, to completely toss aside you know, principle and morality and just get something on paper. We elect individuals to a position of responsibility to administer our government and our rights on behalf of we the people. And until we can get that motto and that mantra into people's minds, then the accountability we need to say, hey, you're in there now, but we will remove you if you don't do what we expect. You know, we we did this in the last election. We got rid of Liz Cheney based on accountability, not based on vitriol, regardless of what anybody says. It was not a personal issue. It was a defense of due process of the law that we disagreed with and our expectation of representation. So we have to defeat this apathy and it's a very dangerous thing because when you bring people out of apathy more recently it's been done through anger and outrage and what you don't want is a bunch of uninformed people who are now motivated by negative energies or negative uh, driving forces because then you just get the complete swing to the other side what we need to do is understand the framework of our processes and our systems and actively engage them in an effective manner starting at the grassroots level. This has got to start in the town councils, in the school boards, in your local boards, whether it be the library board, the uh, museum board, the landfill board, county commissioners. These are some of the most important offices. And I'll tell you across Wyoming, we have a few good ones. But if you're not looking very, very hard at your sheriff, who they are and how they operate, you got a problem because when it comes down to law and the constitution and your rights, the highest authority you should be running into on any given day is your county sheriff. That is their total job. At this point in the broadcast, I lost communication with the live stream. I didn't know that you could do this, but I let the smoke out of a USB cable. Don't worry. You didn't miss anything. We were done with the broadcast anyway. So, lots of firsts on today's live program, but thank you for listening. I'm off to the store to go buy some more USB cables.